As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. And quite simply, it's a miserable Monday for us all, isn't it? Does it get any worse than this? This is a monstrous day, this for Manchester United. The fans, to be fair to them, they haven't turned on the manager in the ground. They never will. But Manchester United fans know when it's not acceptable, and that's not acceptable. Something has got to change in that dressing room and with that coach very quick. Those are the words there of Gary Neville summing up the mood really amongst the Manchester United support. I would say good morning to everyone, but I'm not exactly sure that it is. But instead, hello to the Athletics' Laurie Whitwell. Uh, hi Ian, you okay? <laughs> and United We Stand editor Andy Mitten as well. Hello. Andy, it got so bad yesterday that you left Old Trafford and woke up this morning in a hotel in Ibiza. Was that the only way to escape? Yeah, it was pre-planned. And I'm glad it was pre-planned when I walked out the ground, because if there's anywhere in the world I wanted to get to. It was uh, somewhere where I could lose my mind. I've never taken narcotics, but I was really tempted to last night. I was gonna, I was just gonna, I was up, I was up for starting on class A's, but I, I didn't, I just walked straight into a club. I didn't know anyone. I was a lot older than the average person in there. And I just tried to um, forget about that horrendous scoreline for uh, a couple of hours. I'm, and I woke up this morning and it, it wasn't a bad dream. It actually happened. Liverpool really did beat Manchester United 5-0 at Old Trafford. Yeah, it certainly beats going on with a cup of tea and re-watching the match and match of the day, Laurie, doesn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it, I was sort of half contemplating trying to sneak into Andy's luggage after the game, but um, <laughs> he'd, already, he'd already made a quick exit, so I missed it. <laughs> We're trying to smile, aren't we, through the grimaces. Um as bad as it gets, to be honest, that for Manchester United yesterday, I'm sure every single fan listening to this is feeling exactly the same as we're feeling, but we're going to do our best to go through it all, to dissect exactly what happened and what it means for the club and the manager moving forward. Andy, is that United's worst result in Premier League history for you? Yeah, you can compare it to the 6-1 against City, but yeah, just at Old Trafford, Liverpool was so comprehensive. It City game, I know the scoreline was horrendous, but uh, some of the later goals uh, came late on in, in the match. It didn't seem like a 6-1, even though it was, even though City fans think it, it could have been 10. But 
and even when Tottenham scored six, I felt that that was isolated. And it was probably true because Manchester United finished well clear of Tottenham last year. I can't see any way United are finishing well clear of Liverpool this year. And that compounds a disappointment because we all felt this year when United brought uh, Sancho and Ronaldo and Varane, I didn't really expect United to win the league this year, but I expected more improvement. And I don't think that that was unreasonable. And that's just not happening at all. Uh, United conceded four at Leicester, five against Liverpool. The runner results has been horrendous. The performances, even when United have won games, have been really unconvincing. Atalanta and Villarreal were easily dominant in the first half of their games at Old Trafford, even though United came back and won and there were exciting nights and they gave fans uh, a high. But it, 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 it's just awful. United have got a collection of great players and great names, but it looks like a jigsaw that's been thrown on the floor at the moment and isn't fitting together, whereas Liverpool look like a, a very well-drilled machine. Klopp's clearly an excellent manager with the trophies to, to prove that. Mohamed Salah is probably the best player in the world at the moment. And it was just horrendous. You sat there in Old Trafford. You know that your team's not going to win every game that they play. I've, I've never felt a sense of entitlement with Manchester United. I, I, I started watching the team when I thought United didn't win the league. That was something that Liverpool did. And there are no conditions. I support Manchester United. That's it. But when you're losing 5-0 at home, it's up there with the absolute worst. It's like the 5-1 against City in 89. You've got Liverpool fans winding Ole Gunnar Solskjaer up. And I'd do exactly the same if I was them. And I wouldn't uh, swap for Liverpool in a million years. Not that football fans swap the teams, but it, it was just awful. And, and really surprising. It was only in this calendar year that United beat Liverpool and not them out in the FA Cup. And we were all thinking... We're onto something here. There's improvements here. And I know Liverpool got a lot of injuries last season, but that was just shocking. And people are sick of words. They're sick of um, bouncing back of passion and heart. And it's just, they just don't cut it. Action has to speak louder than words. Apologies aren't good enough. The players are extremely well paid, as is the manager. And a lot of this is on him as well. And support for him. As I talked about three weeks ago, I said it started to slide among the moderates. That slide has, has continued to the point that I do think Holly will be remembered as a club legend for what he did as a player. But if he gets out of this as a manager, it'll be even better than what he's ever done as a player. It's a really desperate situation. Yeah, it'd be a bigger turnaround than two goals in injury time in the new Camp, wouldn't it? Certainly uh, on a grander, much grander scale. I mean, you're saying there about words not meaning much. Um, I interviewed David De Gea after the game and I don't think... I can remember interviewing a player who struggled to find words like he did after that match last night. The, the standout line uh, was that he said that the team had played like kids, um, which I don't have ever heard a player refer to himself and his teammates in in quite those terms. And he described the goals as shit and shitty. They were the two words that he used. So obviously that part didn't get broadcast, but um, it sort of underlined actually just how upset he was. And, and what I thought was interesting, Laurie, as well, was that he didn't, sort of confine his comments to the match yesterday. Um, he was sort of suggesting that United's form over a longer period in recent weeks had been equally as bad in a way, especially the defending. Well, that echoes what Paul Pogba said after the Leicester game, doesn't it? Where he said it's been going on a long time and, and something needs to change, um, which you know people could make their interpretations of what needed to change. Um, 
I think he was talking just more broadly about the actual team style and, and shape and, and the kind of the coordination of it all. And, you know, obviously that ultimately stems back to the manager. The players have got to take responsibility as well. I mean, the fact that De Gea is using the word kids, that's exactly how it looked from the stands. You know, the players chasing the ball. I mean, the number of times that Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire were kind of in each other's spaces, you know, because... I don't know who exactly was supposed to be in which slot, but then you had Mo Salah, you know, only probably the world's best player at the moment, sort of unmarked repeatedly. And, you know, obviously he scored a hat-trick, he probably scored scored a couple more. Um, but it was, a, it was the most desperate performance I've ever seen from a Manchester United team, which, you know, you, I was thinking, you know, as it was 5-0, you know, fortunately, Liverpool took the foot off the gas, or you know, maybe it's even more damning that they did do that. You know, it's, you don't, you don't want to have sympathy from a team like that, but that, that's what happened. You know, United went to a back five and just to try and stem the bleeding. And and towards the end, I was sort of thinking, is this the worst I've ever seen? And, and it, in decades, really, you'd have to go back to pre-Ferguson, surely, because you know, it, it, subsequent to Ferguson, there was obviously very bad days, but this five-nil at home to Liverpool. And Andy's touched on the 6-1 against Man City. Yeah, that was bad. But again, it was United trying to chase the game late on. The 6-1 against Spurs was affected by a very early red card in the game when it was 2-1. Um, and that was sort of a bit more ebb and flow. United did create chances. Weirdly, you know, obviously they could have gone ahead to begin with, with, with Bruno Fernandes. Um, and they did have opportunities on quick turnovers, which I thought before the game, that could be a way to United, you know, sort of sneak in a victory just because Liverpool haven't been at their most exemplary in defence. But going the other way, they, they were just slicing through United at will because there was, you know, it seemed like there was no coordination between all the different players. And the most damning thing is that's the back four that Solskjaer's used time and again. That's pretty much the, the front, you know, four ahead of them that he's used time again, front five ahead of him in terms of Fred McTominay, Rashford, Greenwood, Fernandez. So this is Solskjaer's team and, and that's probably what the most damning thing is about their whole, whole affair. Maybe it wouldn't have been so bad if we didn't see it coming really. Well, certainly Paul Scholes did. We had his comments on Thursday's Talk of the Devils, but I think they're worth listening to again, these comments from post-match on BT after Atalanta, just because of how right he was. I looked at that game thinking about Liverpool on Sunday. In that first half, United were all over the place. They were disjointed. They had the two midfield players playing on their own. Go and do that on Sunday against Liverpool, see what happens. Well, Imagine Jurgen Klopp at home watching that game in the first half, rubbing his hands together. Half-time, it'll be 3 or 4 nil. You'll be out of the game, you're not coming back. And it, that, that's the thing, isn't it, really? Um... It was predictable, and Laurie's sort of saying about what what is the most damning, and we could take our pick, really, what the most damning thing is, but it felt like we could see it coming, almost. Yeah, because the the words about being well-prepared, United actually thought that they were well-prepared for the game. Picking the same team even as well, Andy, isn't it? You know, picking the same team that was 2-0 down in the previous match just a few days before. United thought the prep had gone well ahead of Liverpool. And you can plan, but the reality was so different and detached. United knew that Liverpool would be very good because they are very good. And Oli struggled to get results against them. But equally, Jurgen Klopp hadn't won at Old Trafford until last season. And you just knew within a few minutes. Um, and as Laurie said, it, 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 these weren't wonder goals. They were passing the ball around the United defenders. The positioning looked awful. If we're going to pick anyone out for criticism, I think all of the players deserve some criticism. 
Um, the defence was shocking. And again, leading to your point, this isn't isolated either. Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw were two of Manchester United's best players last year. They've been two of United's worst players this year. They don't wish for it to be like that. I don't know the reasons for that. We can all speculate and say that the Euros took it a lot out of them or they're just in bad form. Every player has bad form. Even the best players have moments of, of bad form. But it's just alarming when so many of them are so poor. And when one of them is your captain and... I look around and I see Bruno not hitting the heights that he did previously. He's increasingly petulant and argumentative. Paul Pogba, there's always issues with Paul Pogba. Came on, got sent off. Sorry, you've got to do better than that. It's um, it's irresponsible. Cristiano Ronaldo, his presence seems to be a blessing and, and yet it could also be a curse because he's such a big personality and he's not short of opinions himself. Should he have been sent off as well, Andy? It happened just in front of, of where we were sat and when I saw it happen, I thought, yes. But unlike most of the fans in the stadium, I, I could see it again on a screen and I do think he was actually kicking the ball. That the ball was wrapped around the player on the floor didn't look good. He was clearly very, very frustrated. It was happening right in front of the the Liverpool fans. But... That frustration can cost you even more, as it did with Pogba. You know, the best boxers in the world don't get angry. They keep their cool. And it's very difficult to keep the cool. The fans weren't really keeping the cool either. All I've got to say, the support again was excellent. And people talked about the fans who left. Well, what about... I'd say 80% of the ground was full on 80 minutes. And I took I took pictures. So it's all right seeing a few thousand go. And there were booze at half-time. Our job is to report what happened. There were boos, but there was an awful lot of support as well. Even talking about how great the support is doesn't wash when you've lost 5-0 against Liverpool. People are looking for like the smallest of, of, of positives. And I got the, the tram back after the game and one person said, proud to be a red after our support that day. And I, I get that. Fans are trying to find some form of positive, but it was just it was just dreadful throughout and where do we go from it we talk about the future of the manager um he said he's not been told any different i've certainly not been told that any dismissal is imminent we can all have opinions we can all suspect that there's going to be a change of, of, of manager i think that most fans as i said a few weeks ago think that he's brought the the, the, the team as far as he can but they've got major doubts about about what comes next and October has been a really grim month for Manchester United. And even two weeks of it, we're international break. That was like the respite when the team wasn't playing. It's been that bad. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, let's answer that question um, about what happens next. First of all, we're going to hear from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, being pressed straight away in the press conference after the game by our very own Laurie Whitwell. You said that um, you've come too far to give up, but also that this was rock bottom. Um, the manner of that defeat, the goals you conceded, the players getting booked and sent off, how can you come back from this as a manager? Well, the only way I know how to uh, approach life, that's uh, wake up tomorrow morning, look forward, of course, evaluate what's going on and do my very, very best and be determined to... Um, to come through difficult times. You said you've come so close to where you want to get to, but there's not a lot of evidence of that. What makes you so certain that you're on a journey that's re- going to reach a positive conclusion when fans are trying to absorb a 5-0 home defeat by Liverpool? This is, as I, as Laurie just said, of course, it's the, the worst feeling. The, you feel rock bottom. Uh, and the feeling that we've... But the feeling we've had that we are getting to where we want to be uh, has been there. But then in the last few weeks, we've hit the brick wall and the results haven't come, performances haven't come, we've conceded too many goals. And that's um, that's a concern. Laurie, obviously you got the first question uh, in that press conference and then the other journalists uh, came in afterwards. But no matter which way you asked that question, his future was the biggest question mark after the game, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, usually in a press conference after a game, you can kind of sort of start with a, a slightly softer question, you know, just a general one about how the match went and, and what a manager's opinion is. Um, but as you say, there was only one story in town. He'd already done all the broadcast uh, media as well. He'd taken quite a long time doing that. So he'd obviously gone over the, the issues in the game. So the the point for us now was to, to ask the biggest questions. And I mean, listening to it back, it sounds quite brutal the way I've asked it I suppose um, it, it kind of wasn't really my intention to, to, to go hard hard it was kind of just gen- genuinely how as a manager do you come back from this kind of performance where it looks like players aren't doing your instructions it looks all you know chaotic and you, and, you know the, the point about players getting booked and sent off and Ronaldo clearly was dicing with that with his you know kicking the the the, the ball admittedly got all of the ball none of the man but it, it was it was definitely a kick to to hurt the player I think that you know I don't think he could have had any complaints if he'd been sent off um that sort of in that sort of gives an impression of of a manager that's kind of lost control of, of the players um so that was kind of where I was I was coming from you know a final defeat how do you you know genuinely how do you reset after that um and to be fair to him he obviously answered it in a mature way you know some managers might react um understandably to that and say you know who are you to ask me that kind of question um you know it's it's you know, it, the only people I take instruction from are the, are the board. Um, but I think Solskjaer is actually quite an honest guy, quite candid post-match a lot of the time. Sometimes to his detriment. Um, but um, it felt it, it felt a pretty brutal press conference. Um, but yeah, there was only one way to start it really. 
Yeah, Andy, you said before, and, and Ollie repeated it in his press conference, that um, you know he's not heard anything, or he feels like he's got the support of the club. You know, the intention certainly was that he was going to be Manchester United manager for all this season. Results like this, of course, change opinions and change perception. So, what chance would you give it that it's not Solskjaer in charge of the match at Tottenham at the weekend? I don't know the answer. I honestly don't know. Uh, people are saying to me he's got to go now, and people are passing opinion off as fact and. Maybe they're telling Laurie and I and looking for confirmation and a nod and a wink that we know something and an announcement's coming. Yeah. I honestly do not know of any announcement coming. I've had other journalists, can you give me a heads up? I've had um, people inside the club, former players. I do not think um, that a decision has been made. All I know is that there's been very little appetite they're getting rid of the manager and very little appetite among the fans at the moment for this continuing. And the only solution they see is is the manager going, sadly. The support for him, he'll continue to be supported. There will be Manchester United fans who support him for as long as he's the manager of the club. Loyal to a fault, maybe, but they're good supporters. They support through thick and thin. They did it with David Moyes, with Louis van Gaal and, and Jose Mourinho. They'll continue to support Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, even more so because of of his status. But people can just also see that it is not working out. I've not heard anything um, to say that he's going to be losing his job anytime soon. Then again, um, these things tend to happen short and fast. I think that Ed Woodward has got regrets about the way the dismissal of David Moyes came about. Um he, he sort of let it slip to a journalist. And I think he learned from that. And I asked him what it's like to sack managers a couple of years ago. And he said, it's never nice. And you, you hope that you're never going to have to do it again. But he's got to think about the future of the football club. Then again, he's moving on too. So there's all the sort of political backdrop to changes within the club um, where Ed Woodward's moving on we think this year, um, who would make the decision to sack him? I think it would have to come from Joel Glazer. And I don't know him. I don't know who's got his, his ear, apart from uh, Woodward, Richard Arnold, who's making the decision. It sh- if it is a decision, it should be a football decision. It seems very clear to supporters um, that this isn't, this isn't working out. I think if you do a poll now, should Ollie go now? The majority would say yes, and they'd say that with a heavy heart. But have you heard anything, Laurie? No, just echoing you. I mean, I know we're hopefully supposed to be on a podcast informing people, but it's difficult when clearly, you know, if there is to be a change, you know, it's going to be hard work to try and find out exactly who knows what and when. So obviously we'll we'll be going to do that today. Um, I mean, there hasn't obviously been a... A resounding backing for him, you know, an, an unequivocal um, show of faith. Um, that was obviously a message that came out pretty quickly after the Leicester game. I don't know whether to read into that or not, um, because equally they might just be thinking, well, let's just take stock of the situation, and we don't actually want those kind of stories that um, are so definitive. Um, you know, it's it's a lot to digest. So um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's the job now for us to try and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I think we should point out that we're recording this at sort of late morning on on Monday. Uh, obviously, depending on when you listen to this, there'll be updates. I'm sure. Keep an eye on the Athletic app, of course, 
the lads will be right across this story and have updates as soon as uh, that there are any, if there are any, indeed. I mean, uh, there was quite a stark contrast, Andy, yesterday from Barcelona and United, I thought. I mean, the, the Barcelona fans attacking Ronald Koeman's car as he left the new Camp compared to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer signing autographs for United fans outside Old Trafford after the game. There's not much more of a stark comparison uh, to a, a, a defeat to your biggest rivals like that. And Barca only lost 2-1. A little bit of that is, is about logistics when Manchester United um, players and manager leave the ground they go out behind the Stretford end which is the quietest part of the ground long after the final whistle there's lots of security about you always get hundreds of fans waiting and Ollie signed autographs and took pictures with those fans after the game he, he usually does that and there's very little criticism when he was actually doing that so there's different forms of reality here. There's always been that sort of angry social media reality. But from Ollie's experience, the fans he comes up to face-to-face will be supportive and nice towards him. And United security is really good and players leave uh, via the quietest entrance to Old Trafford. Very difficult to, to get to them. At Barcelona, it's very different. Everybody knows that the players come out from an underground car park onto a public street. So fans congregate around the exit. So you know that you can be within two metres of, for many years, Lionel Messi or Ronald Koeman. And fans waited there uh, after the Real Madrid game. They saw Koeman and there was a bit of a reaction. The type of fans who wait tend to be weekend visitors. They tend to be kids. This isn't the ultras at Barcelona. And it's the same at Old Trafford. None of my mates ever say to me, after the game, she'll go and wait for a few selfies with Diego Della and then we'll go to the pub. It's weekend visitors, it's young kids, and that's fine. And it's the same in Barcelona. So I don't think them images of, of what happened to Koeman are entirely accurate. I know a lot of hardcore Barcelona fans who know that they're in for a really rough ride. They have the doubts about the manager. They know it's going to be very tough, that they've got no money, that they've got a very young team. But... The way that social media can amplify something visually can can distort what's going on. And I think most Barcelona fans would be pretty horrified and wouldn't associate with them people. And I think most of the people doing it won't be around to pick up the heat because they were probably there for the weekend. Yeah, fair enough. I, I totally understand that. Um, it just was quite a stark comparison that they were the two sort of defining images of post-match, weren't they, uh, from the two matches. Um, in terms of... Other opinions across the Athletic, Adam Crafton's written a piece uh, which begins, by now, only politeness or delusion can explain Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's continued position as the manager of Manchester United. His article and, and take on what happened yesterday is up on the Athletic at the moment. Oli Kay has also written a piece comparing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to Roy Evans, who was Liverpool manager in the 90s and, and didn't exactly enjoy uh, a terrifically successful spell at Anfield and also of course had deep rooted links to the club in terms of being a boot room boy and all the side of that that of course Solskjaer's got as well so go and have a look at those two if you want to digest even more about yesterday if it's even possible at this stage blimey have we not punished ourselves enough I don't know um yeah Andy it's interesting isn't it really because we sort of talk about Solskjaer's position and, and keeping an eye on things and stuff like that but you know if he is to stay as Manchester United manager what on earth is he going to do this week to get this these players together and change things it's probably good that he's got a clear week on the, on the training ground I guess before Spurs at the weekend but what on earth 
Where does he start to try and sort this out? So if he stays in a job, the mood will improve slightly each day by 5%. And let's give them the mood at, out of 100 at the moment. We're on the floor, 1%. And by Friday, he will probably say, uh, we know it was horrendous. We've had a good week training. We're planned well for Tottenham. We've come back from bad positions before. He might use the Tottenham 6-1 as a, as, a, as a hook for that. And he's had frank words with the players, which were needed. In tabloid speak, clear the air talks, call them what you want. That's probably the best case scenario for, for Manchester United. And then go and beat Tottenham and play really well. And then your mood goes from 10% to 25%. And as I said, results um, set the mood for everything. Everything is secondary to that, even performances. United are in such a bad place at the moment, they just, they just need wins. And then, that's if that's the best case, what's the worst case scenario? Mutiny is the worst case scenario, where the players are briefing against the manager. I've had conflicting reports. I think they know he's a decent, um, a decent man. I think they respect him as a manager, but you've got huge egos in there. When you buy Cristiano Ronaldo and Edinson Cavani and all these players, you're buying the egos as well that have made them world-class talents. So in some ways I could see it would be better if there was a midweek game because we've got that lovely cliche of bouncing back. But <laughs> nah, I, don't, I just don't think there's a sentiment for listening to that at the moment. Look, Liverpool have just won five now. It was quite encouraging, Andy. I didn't hear that phrase once post-match yesterday. Yeah. I, I listened to quite a lot of the interviews that were done because um, there were so many international rights holders pitch side there yesterday. Uh, you could sort of take your pick between about 17 or 18 different international interviews that were taking place. David De Gea, Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I didn't hear the word bounce back, the phrase, sorry, bounce back at any point. Uh, and I've not seen it on anyone's social media either, which is quite encouraging too, in a way. Um, Laurie, the problem, I, I suppose, and Andy's sort of referred to it there with like option two of mutiny, the fact that we, we've got doubts over Solskjaer now and that the fans have clearly got doubts over Solskjaer now. The players will as well, won't they? And, and that will feed into... Um, you know, the sort of weight of making it difficult to turn this around. It, it sort of weighs on the side of it becoming harder because there are those doubts there about his position now. Yeah, I, mean, I think given the pedigree that he had coming in, you know, he didn't have the trophies to fall back on. He doesn't have the experience at elite level to fall back on that players will naturally buy into. So where when he's asking them to do certain things or telling them to do certain things, they just do it because they think, right, he's a winner. He knows how to do this. I'm listening to him. I think all along they've been on this kind of journey with him where it's sort of felt like it's growing and he's a good guy to deal with. So let's listen to him. Let's Let's sort of, you know, we're in this together as a kind of, growth project um but when it gets to this point those doubts creep in again and, and they get louder um you know we, we we do know that some of the players do think that way in that you know is he elite level um which is the question that we ask you know players and normal people like us where that those doubts are there um and that and after a performance like that that's when it's very difficult i think to turn around a, a squad of players to say no he is the guy actually it's it's just I mean after the Leicester game as well you know nine goals conceded total dishevelment in defence um, and coordination and this as I said earlier this is the team that he you know had trusted you know last season so where do you go from here with the Spurs game who who do you change you know he, he again for Atalanta he, he obviously dropped Pogba 
put Matic to the bench and, and put Sancho to the bench and then stuck with that team for Liverpool. But what, what changes do you make for the, the Tottenham game? Obviously, Pogba will be suspended. Um, so that's one thing. But ha- what kind of shifts can you make to, to sort of you know, reignite the team? That's That's a big question. Well, three at the back is probably the obvious option in terms of a change in tactics, whether you know the players are ready to do that. Maybe that's what happens this week. They, they sort of go back to that. And if, if Ollie's remaining in charge, you know that the coaching staff will, I'm sure, look at options to try and make them harder to beat. Because at the very least, 11 goals across three matches conceded uh, is as bad as it gets. You know, Not keeping a clean sheet at home in the Premier League all the way back to March. I mean, they're obvious things that need to be fixed instantly, Andy, aren't they? David De Gea's one of, been one of Manchester United's best players this year. I don't think you can put the, the goals on him. He had a chocolate fire guard of a defence in front of him on Sunday. He was frustrated. He was clearly vocal after the game. He's more confident of expressing himself after the game. I don't think he realises how strong some of the words he uses in English are. When, it, when he does that, but fair play to him. He's feeling it, he's hurting it. He wants to be a league champion again. That's what he always told Juan um, Juan Mata. And I, sp- I saw Mata the other day, actually. That's just an aside, isn't it? It was in Altrincham. So was Dennis Irwin, buying a newspaper. I have no further comment to make on either. They're both great fellas. And that's a bit hat standing me saying that. But the team's leaking goals... The fullbacks have become more of an issue as well. You can see when United come up against the top, top side like Liverpool, they absolutely shred them. We saw the warning signs in the league matches. We saw the warning signs in the Champions League matches when Villarreal and Atalanta, who were both very good, Champions League quality, but not elite level. Nobody would expect either of those two teams to be in the last eight this year. And... In the most optimistic scenario, you would have expected United to be in the last eight, the last four this year. This season was supposed to be about solidifying the progress that has been made. And that is not happening. And somebody said to me after the game yesterday, someone who was really pro Oli, it's like we've thrown away all the good work over the last couple of years in two weeks. And there's no reason why that good work can't be picked up again. But at the moment, it is just on the floor and... United did have a consistency. That away run was really good. There were times when the defences looked really good under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. The fact that Varane came in made everybody think this is a major step up. This isn't with respect Marcus Rojo playing there or Daley Blind playing there or Phil Jones playing there. The defence in terms of the names looked really good. Yeah, we would have liked to see another right-back come in. United wanted Kieran Trippier. Atletico Madrid were not going to sell Kieran Trippier. But that's not happened. But there's never going to be an ideal situation. The bottom line is there's a very, very good squad of players there. We all know we'd like to see another midfield player. But there's still a very, very good squad of players there. And they are punching so far below their weight that we get this current embarrassing situation. Okay, yeah, some great questions uh, in response to Laurie's request on the match feed yesterday, a Q&A that he did. I'm sure that was a, an eventful finish to your day yesterday, Laurie. Lots and lots of people getting in touch. So thank you for getting involved, as always, on The Athletic. Um, we're going to answer some of those questions now, actually. So first up, Reese, 
Why isn't Cavani starting? And maybe, can you believe people are calling for Conte to be, of course, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's replacement when he wanted Young and Sanchez off us? Um, do you want to take those one by one, Laurie? Yeah, go on then. Uh, Cavani starting, um, well, obviously he had issues at the start of the season in terms of sort of fitness and then the kind of Uruguay situation. Um, you know, he obviously only got back. He didn't play against um, Leicester because he'd only got, he played for Uruguay, you know, the, the day previous. Um, but clearly he's back and you, you do wonder that would he be a more natural fit to this team than Ronaldo? Obviously he, he played last season and looked good. Um, doing so um, I guess that's a question now that Solskjaer will have to weigh up that that could be one of the changes that I spoke about um, you know for the Tottenham game because he he tried to do that change against Everton and then it got massively scrutinised and he was kind of unlucky that Sir Alex was <laughs> chatting to a UFC fighter you know what are the chances of that and then it gets sort of published um, on Instagram um, but I, I, I wonder if that's the way he turns now because Cavani's obviously come on every time and, and put you know huge commitment onto the pitch and, and perhaps just more naturally dovetails with you know Greenwood or Rashford or, or, or even Sancho. Gary Neville said about playing them up front together as well hasn't he? He sort of had them in his ideal team a few weeks ago. I know things have changed since then. Yeah well I mean it's difficult sort of figuring them both out together you know in a, is a 4-4-2 the way forward? I mean to be fair when they've Cavani's come on and Ronaldo stayed on and what's happened is Ronaldo's come over to the left and Cavani's gone up top um, so that that is one possibility, but I'd be very surprised if that is a starting lineup. You know, it, it, Ronaldo as, as a left winger from the start. You know, that was those days are sort of a decade ago. I wouldn't like to be Luke Shaw anyway. Put it that way. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, yeah, he obviously had a tough time yesterday, and you know, I think that might exacerbate the issue. But I mean, Luke Shaw clearly was somebody that positionally was was odd yesterday. Wambasaka. I mean, for that first goal, pressing Andy Robertson and then getting done by Andy Robertson. You know, he sprints past him and he's there ready for the square. Uh, ball from Cater if, if, if he decides to do that so Wan-Bissaka's got real pressure on him from outside but who replaces him you know that's as, as Andy's alluded to Kieran Trippier would have been that solution but um, it hasn't happened so uh, yeah I mean Cavani obviously back to him came on and played sort of holding midfield which <laughs> yesterday which isn't really what you have him in the team for you know sort of needs must I suppose in that situation in terms of just keeping the score down um, you know I mean we know that Conte uh, to address Reese's second point, um, you know, played a back three, back five system for Chelsea and ended up winning the league. And that was a tweet that he made after a disastrous 3-0 defeat to Arsenal. Um, so, you know, could Solskjaer do something like that where it goes back to a, a more, uh, I suppose, conservative style of play? Um, the only problem is is, is the full-backs. Who, who is the full-back for United there? Aaron Wan-Bissaka is a right wing-back. I just don't think that would work. You could have Luke Shaw as a centre-back for sure. He, he could do the left wing-back slot, no problem. But I don't know, it feels a bit disjointed. I suppose Diogo Dallo could be the option as a, as a right wing-back. Um, I mean, I suppose in terms of, you know, Reese's particular point, um, people believing that they, you know, United fans are calling for Conte when he wanted Young and Sanchez off us. I mean, listen, Conte's won the Premier League, you know, with Chelsea. He's won Serie A with, with Inter, Juventus. He's done well with Italy. He's still in his prime, you'd think, you know, the motivator that he is, um, the kind of tactician that he is. So I think that's why people are thinking he, he could be the answer. Um, and, and I suppose Young and Sanchez, Listen, I don't know if that's his style of play um, sort of across the board, but I suppose in Serie A, those, those kind of players, as he proved, worked well. So maybe he would change that for the Premier League if, you know, if, if indeed that was the course that United went down. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, these are the kind of questions that are obviously coming now when the scrutiny is so high on Solskjaer. 
Next question from Jordan, Andy, if you wouldn't mind taking this one. Aside from the inevitable, what can we realistically expect in changes? A new coaching staff, director of football, etc. This whole United ethos has worn pretty thin. Will a new manager be expected to work with Murtagh and Fletcher? It has worn pretty thin. And what the previous managers have done is they brought their own coaching staff in, including Ollie. So Louis van Gaal brought his coaches in. I was told they were very, very good, but quite distance from the permanent staff, if you like. So United would likely retain the the analysts. Um, the, the, the You're not going to be getting rid of the under-18s coach. There's a whole team built in around the first team who probably stay permanent. The, the comms team would be unlikely to change. Um, a manager at a club like that, of that level, would tend to bring in up to six people so most top managers they have their right hand not just right hand man um, but they have um, their own fitness trainer and that type of stuff as well so we're jumping on a bit here Um, but yeah you you don't get individuals coming in and just saying hi it's me nice to meet you and I'm working with all the same people It, it just doesn't happen like that when David Moyes came in he brought in Steve Brown, Phil Neville, um, Jimmy from Everton, and that didn't work out either. So managers bring bring the, the, their own people in. Uh, John Murtagh only took his new position earlier on this year. Um, same with Darren Fletcher, and I've not been told anything to say that their that their futures are uncertain whatsoever. The manager's a full guy. The manager is the one who's paid far, far more than, than everybody else. At other clubs where the sporting director is a more truer sporting director, that's the person who, who has a lot of power. Uh, maybe it's the sporting director who makes a decision to, to sack the manager. But at United, I just cannot see that happening at all. I think the power is um, still with um, Ed Woodward, speaking to Joel Glazer. What he did last time, and this is um, coming out now in, in Patrice Evra's book, when he was considering getting rid of David Moyes, is he called the senior players together for a meeting to gauge opinions. And if that was done, and you've got you've got to consult the players, uh, I think there would be lots of very frank opinions uh, at the moment. I think if you ask Cristiano Ronaldo, for his opinion, he would have very strong views. And they'd all have slightly different views. They'd all have the favourite um, choices. When a player is really important, someone like Lionel Messi could almost dictate who the next manager would be. He was that important. don't think there's anyone as strong as that at Manchester United, not even Cristiano uh, Ronaldo. But we're just speculating here. Most of the best managers in the world are currently in paid employment. And Conte's a man who's out of employment. I spoke to someone who played under him who said he'll win trophies and then it'll blow up after a couple of years because that's what happens. But said he's, he's a great manager. I've not studied his career closely enough to offer much more than that. Just to sort of touch on what Andy's spoken about there and kind of shows the, the live recording of, the, of this podcast. Um, as we've been speaking, um, United have tweeted... Um, uh, a, an article uh, that's on the website, the official website, um, and it basically is meeting out the fact that Ollie set his sights on United's next three matches in terms of 
in responding to this um, traumatic defeat. So, you know, the fact that they have tweeted that gives perhaps some indication. You know, I don't know if we read too much into it, but um, that is the kind of thing that I don't think would get released um, unless that was their thinking genuinely. So we'll see what comes. But I thought I think that's kind of a significant moment this morning. Yeah, it's interesting. It's the first time that United have tweeted today as well, I guess. So it gives some indication, doesn't it? Like you say, to sort of the mood around the club at the minute. Um, okay. Right. Well, keep a close eye, of course, on The Athletic over the next few days. There's no doubt whatsoever that it's going to be a very interesting week for Manchester United. And I'm sure that these next few days as well will be filled with lots of speculation and lots of scrutiny on the club at the minute. But for the very best reaction and discussion around Manchester United, of course, keep it to The Athletic. But Andy and Laurie, thank you for joining us on Talk of the Devils. We got for it together, didn't we? <laughs> we'll be back on Thursday, of course previewing the trip to Tottenham and it'll be very interesting to see what the mood is like then. But until then, thank you for listening to Talk of the Devils and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. The Athletic.